Welcome to the Dykema Federal Government Relations Podcast, Election Edition. Uh, with me is Andy Buchek, and I'm Jim Brandell, and we're government policy advisors in Dykema's Washington, D.C. office. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about the midterm elections and the outcomes that happened, um, and what does this mean for both the House, the Senate, and the future of legislation, both for this remaining Congress and into the future. So let's kind of first talk about what actually happened on Election Day and some of the results, Andy. So uh, the way um, you know, history has shown that you know, the party that's in power, in this case the Republicans with President Trump as president, um, would be running against history if they were going to be increasing seats in any of the chambers. The results were um, very similar to what history would show us, and that is in the House side at least. Um, Republicans lost the chamber, lost control of the chamber. Democrats picked up um, a minimum of, of 30 plus seats, um, enough to make sure that they have a solid majority, smaller than what the Republicans have had in the last Congress. But moving into the 116th Congress, they will be in charge of the, of the House. Um, and then on the Senate side, um, they bucked history a little bit um, by increasing their margin, uh, the Republicans did, by keeping control of the Senate. The last time that this happened where um, a president in power in his first midterm actually increased in the Senate and lost seats in the House was back actually in 1982 when Ronald Reagan's first term when um, he added a couple seats in the, um, in the Senate but lost seats in, in the House. So definitely been a while since uh, a phenomenon like this has happened. But I think part of that, um, Andy, wouldn't you say is because of the, the way that the, the maps were this year in regards, especially on the Senate side, I think things, uh, the general consensus where things were pretty much in favor of Republicans on the Senate side for sure. Yeah, absolutely. On the Senate side, Democrats were defending over 20 seats um, and a number, at least 10 of those seats were in states where President Trump won um, in his election. And so that put Democrats on the defensive immediately. And they had sort of moderate success in those races where they lost a number of those seats, um, held on to a couple of tough ones. But at the end of the day, um, going to end up in a lesser of a major lesser of a number of democratic senators in the 116th congress than there were in the 115th. Well, let's first look at a little bit more at the house side first as we kind of go through both of these chambers, Andy. So, um looking at the at the at the house and the results there, what are some of the things that kind of um stand out to you on some of the outcomes that you saw on on the election night? Well, I think going into the election, most folks were predicting that Democrats were going to take control of the House, and it was a matter as to how many seats they were going to take, and it, a lot of that depended on turnout, and we saw on Tuesday's election that turnout was significantly higher for a midterm election, and I think Democrats ultimately won the majority as a result of a turnout, an increased turnout of young people, of women voters, and that allowed them to make big inroads in suburban districts where a number of Republicans were ousted on Tuesday night. And I think it was on the strength of the vote in the suburbs that Democrats ultimately took control of the House of Representatives. And so remind me, too, the last time Republicans um, or the Democrats actually had control of the House, uh, they, they lost control back in 2010, I believe. That's right. They were um, in the midterm election, in Barack Obama's first midterm election, Democrats lost their majority in the House and uh, didn't gain it back for the, until uh, Tuesday night. Um, just looking at sort of the, the makeup of the new Congress, I think there are some interesting things 
about it. First and foremost, is and getting a lot of attention for obvious reasons, the largest number of female members of the House of Representatives at current uh, vote totals. There are at least 100 women that will make up the 116th Congress, which beats the, the previous record of 84 women. So we are certainly having a, a Congress much more reflective of the U.S. population. Still a long way to go, but significant inroads in terms of the number of women candidates. And among those new uh, women candidates, we're seeing the, the first Native American woman elected to Congress, the first African-American uh, woman in, in many states like Massachusetts and Connecticut, the first Muslim women elected. We're seeing state delegations suddenly changing over from having a majority of male members to having a much more even split. And I think all of those are going to have a big impact on the way the Democratic caucus operates in the new Congress. And so with that, um, the next step for uh, for House um, uh, the House caucuses, both Republican and Democrat, coming up later this month are leadership elections. So what's, uh, what do we think that are going to be happening? What, are there any kind of surprises of people who have announced um, about you know, challenging people for races? Nancy Pelosi obviously is uh, the minority leader at the present time um, and was the speaker during the last stint in the majority. Um, let's talk a little bit about who might be vying for some of these leadership possession, uh, positions on, on the Democrat side at the start. Sure. I think that... Well, obviously, all eyes right now are on Nancy Pelosi and what happens in her bid to become the the next Speaker of the House or return to being the Speaker of the House. She formally announced last night to all of her colleagues that she's seeking the the speakership, and and no one has yet to materialize as a, as a challenger to her. But there are a lot of rumblings. There are well over, I, I think, at last count somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 members that have pledged that they would not vote for her when it came time to select Speaker of the House. And she's going to need some of those votes in order to get across the finish line. And so it'll be sort of up to her operation to be able to secure those votes in order to make her the next Speaker of the House. But there there certainly is a I don't want to say an uprising because that sounds a little bit too dramatic, but there certainly is a frustration among a lot of Democratic members that the the House Democratic leadership team not only has been in place for a very long time, but has essentially boxed out a lot of the younger members. The the current leadership team, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and Jim Clyburn are all in their late 70s and have all been in their positions the last time the Democrats had the majority. And in the case of Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer, they've been the top two Democratic positions since the late 90s. And so there is an awful lot of new members, and not just members elected in this cycle, but members elected in the last few cycles that are anxious to get into the leadership uh, ranks. And so it'll be interesting to see who comes out from that group. There, The current Congress, or the, the new Congress, I should say, only about 37% of those members will have been in Congress prior to 2010. And it just is starting to be at a point where the, the, the more senior members are outnumbered now by younger members. And I think at some point they're going to try to exercise that power to take some of these leadership positions 
and give them an opportunity to lead their party at this point. Well, on the on the Republican side, they have a, a leadership um, elections as well. Um, definitely doesn't sound like there's going to be as much drama, at least at this point, by the Democrats. Um, Kevin McCarthy, uh, who is the current uh, majority leader in the House, uh, has announced his intention to uh, to run for minority leader for the Republicans. Um, he's being challenged by Jim Jordan of Ohio, the founder, one of the founders of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, for that role. Um, however, you know, on the Republican side, when you're in the minority, um, you only need a simple majority in order to, of your caucus in order to have that leadership elected um, in, a, in a secret ballot. In vote. a secret ballot vote, exactly. So, it, you know, I think the path to victory for someone like Kevin McCarthy is going to be a lot easier being in the minority because of that. Um, and then Steve Scalise, um, you know, is the current majority whip and is looking to to, to keep that that seat as well um, as the as the minority whip when they take over in the 116th Congress. So a lot of same familiar faces, I think, on the Republican side, um, even though they have new folks coming in that had record number of, of retirements last year. Obviously, a lot of those, um, some of those did flip. Um, but I know um, there is a large number of their uh, caucus who uh, has never been in the minority before as well. So there's going to be a lot of folks who are going to have to understand um, how, that, how that plays out for them as well. One thing to keep an eye on for the Democratic leadership race is normally in the past, leadership elections have been almost immediately after the midterm elections, you know, that first week of orientation, and sort of in an acknowledgement that there's not unanimous agreement on who the leader should be at this point, um, Democrats have delayed their leadership elections until early December, and that will give time to folks who may be considering a, a challenge or those folks that are unhappy with the current leadership structure to try to organize in a way that would give someone else a, a credible opportunity to get into the leadership structure. At this point, the top three leadership positions, um, Nancy Pelosi's announced her intention for speaker. There's no one that's announced in opposition to her. Steny Hoyer has announced his intention to run for majority leader. No one has come up to challenge him just yet. And Jim Clyburn is currently the assistant Democratic leader, has announced his intention to run for whip. He does have an announced opponent in a congresswoman from Colorado, Diana DeGette, who is a member of the Energy and Commerce Committee, um, has played a big role in some of the more recent uh, health care issues from the 21st Century Cures Act and opioid legislation. And is very popular amongst her colleagues as well. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. Some of the more competitive races on the Democratic leadership are in those lower ranks for assistant majority leader and caucus chair and communications and policy steering committee chairs, because a lot of people view those as the, the stepping stones to getting into the, the higher ranks of leadership. And again, with the current leadership team all in their late 70s, the expectation is that it won't be that long before there will be a need for new blood in the leadership chain. And so if you're eyeing those positions, perhaps at this moment, your best opportunities are in some of those lower level leadership roles. And so we'll see how those play out because there are multiple candidates announced in all of those races and folks anxious to get their names out in terms of their ambition for uh, future leadership positions. It'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Well, let's now look back over to the Senate and, and look at, um, at those seats and, and how it's all going to play out um, 
uh, in the post-election world there. So, you know, we talked about how they've increased their majority slightly by flipping a few seats. Let's. What was interesting from those outcomes, Andy, as you kind of saw some of the, the states that flipped and uh, the folks that got reelected or or the, the houses uh, or the ones that, you know, got reelected, well, but surprisingly. Well, I think, you know, all the attention was on those senators, those Democratic senators who were in red states and in many cases really deep red states. And, you know, outside of Senator Manchin in West Virginia, um, those races all proved to be either really close for Democrats or they just lost. And I think part of the, the story is that Democrats did not do very well, even with strong incumbent senators in states like Indiana, North Dakota or Missouri. You know, the Democratic senator and the, the Democratic incumbent senator in those states lost pretty handily. And frankly, the poll, the pre-election polls weren't all that accurate in terms of the election outcomes. And I, I you know, when you try to figure out why the polling was off, um, you know, I, I think it's hard not to credit President Trump and his multiple visits to places like Indiana and North Dakota, Missouri. Um, you know, we can talk about some of the other states that still haven't been decided, like Florida and Arizona. Uh, but those states that he spent a lot of time in, he got a lot of positive results. And the concern over enthusiasm on the Republican side, sort of, you know, he was able to, you know, address all those concerns. And in fact, you know, Republican enthusiasm in a lot of those deep red states was as high as it's ever been. And as a result, a number of Democratic incumbent senators aren't coming back. And so even though um, Democrats definitely came to the polls, Republicans definitely did themselves in a lot of those states. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when so let's look at um, the leadership elections there. It looks a little bit more status quo in uh, overall for the Senate, I, I would say, when it comes to at least their top leadership. Um, what is it um, look what, what does it the outlook for that, Andy? Well, there's one exception to that in that Republicans in the Senate instituted term limits for their uh, everyone in their leadership chain except the majority leader. So Mitch McConnell stays, but Senator Cornyn, who's been the the Senate whip or the assistant Senate majority leader for the last few Congresses, is term limited out, and everyone has made the assumption that John Thune from South Dakota will rise up to that seat. And so I don't think there's a lot of drama there, but there will at least be one new face in the in the leadership circle. And and Chuck Schumer will continue being the, the minority leader for the Democrats in the Senate. With Dick Durbin as his assistant minority leader. I, I think that part of what's what will be interesting in the Senate from here on out just in terms of these election results, is that there's still three pending races in Arizona and Florida, and then there's a runoff that's going to take place in Mississippi. And in all three of those, Republicans are either favored like they are in Mississippi or slightly ahead right now as they're counting votes. And if Republicans win all three of those seats and go with a 54-seat majority in the, in the Senate— you know, that's a pretty good election night. If things were to change somehow and Democrats were to sort of hold on to one or two of those seats, that certainly mutes some of the enthusiasm or some of the success of the Republicans on election night. Um, and so I think a lot of folks are watching that very closely because that will ultimately sort of be the determining factor just how successful Republicans were. I mean, no doubt that 
not losing any ground and in fact gaining some ground is a big victory for them but it could be the difference between 54 and 52 or 51 is a big deal when it comes to absolutely confirmations and nominations and all of the investigation type things that everyone anticipates going forward absolutely so interesting well what we've talked about now what we've talked about up till this point andy is everything that's going to really take place after January 1 in the new 116th Congress. But we're not even even finished with the 115th Congress. There's still um, you know, a lame duck period that still needs to get done with um, an agenda that, that folks in both chambers have eyes on, whether or not that's possible. Let's talk a little bit about what's left on the table for Congress to, to finish between now and the end of the year when they recess and before the 116th Congress starts up in January. Well, there's a couple things I think that everyone is looking at, you know, things like the farm bill, um, whether there's any type of tax extenders bill or tax uh, technical corrections act. But the, the big ticket item that is still out there is funding of the government. The current continuing resolution expires on D-Day, December 7th. And depending on how that all that plays out, this would also be a, a day that could live in infamy here with a showdown likely over border wall funding. Now, now with that, though, I mean, um, you know, we did, um, there were Congress and um, in the House and Senate, and the president signed appropriations bills that funds roughly about two-thirds of the Congress for a fiscal year 19 already through the end of September of next year, correct? Yeah, all the big ticket bills, almost, I think it actually equals out to almost three quarters of the federal government has been funded for the next upcoming fiscal year. There are still a lot of agencies out there that need to be funded. Things like the Department of Transportation, um, Housing and Urban Development, Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, the Department of Commerce, um, the Department of Agriculture, and a number of others financial service related treasury and those types of institutions so so with that i mean if there is a um a a dispute on getting us uh, you know those appropriations done then a partial government shutdown very likely could happen then absolutely i i i have a difficult time coming up with a scenario where there is not a big showdown over funding for the border wall President Trump knows that a Democratic House is never going to provide the level of funding he wants for a border wall. And the la- his last best opportunity is to get something f- from this, Repub- this outgoing Republican House. The-, the challenge is, is that any legislation is still going to require some level of Democratic support in the Senate at 60 votes. And a number of the senators that might support him on that lost their re-election on Tuesday night. And so they don't really have much of a motivation to be helpful to the president, especially after he campaigned against them pretty vigorously in the last few weeks. And so depending on how hard the president digs in on this, it's hard to see where there's a compromise out there that's acceptable to both sides. And without that sort of obvious compromise, it very easily could turn into a stare down and a government shutdown and see who blinks first. So there's still, is it possible that Congress could get some of these other ticket, these items done off the, the list, such as you know, the extension of uh, the National Flood Insurance Program, the Farm Bill, 
any tax extenders, or or is this all kind of going to be tied up with the, the politics of the uh, of the appropriations? Uh, well, this, the continuing resolution expires on December seventh. I think the best chance for getting through any of those pieces of legislation is to get that cleared off the decks before the CR expires. Once the CR expires, then things become much more contentious. Congress can always buy itself a little more time with an ext- a, 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 uh, another CR for another week or two weeks even. But as you get closer and closer to Christmas, the presser builds to get out of town. And with so many members you know, not being reelected and going, you know, retiring or being defeated, those members aren't going to stick around. And so Congress is going to have to do something sooner rather than later on the or eventually anyway on the budget. And so they probably have a couple of weeks to get through some of these other items. But once it starts to get really contentious, it's hard to see how after fighting it out and standing their ground that they come together and solve a bunch of other issues. Well, they obviously have their work cut out for them between now and the end of the year then on, on these issues. And so it's not going to be a boring time here in Washington, that's for sure. Absolutely not. And really hard to predict. So um, buckle up and get ready for probably a, a bumpy ride for the next uh, six weeks until the end of the year. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining Andy Buchek and myself today uh, for this podcast. Um, please feel free to reach out to us and contact us if you have any questions on what we discussed today or if we can be any assistance to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. The materials contained in this audio are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute the legal or other professional advice of Dykema Gossett PLLC and affiliates. Dykema. Neither Dykema nor any other Dykema entity accepts any responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on information contained in this audio. Permission is given for the downloading and temporary storage of this audio for the purpose of viewing on a personal electronic device. The contents of this audio are protected by copyright under international conventions, and apart from the permission stated, the reproduction, permanent storage, or retransmission of the contents of this audio is prohibited without the prior written consent of DICOMA. Rules of certain state supreme courts may consider this advertising and require us to advise you of such designation. Copyright 2017, Dykema Gossett, PLLC.